Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, and I hope you enjoy the Torah classes in it. Now, on to the episode. Shalom, everyone. Chodesh Tov. Bezat Hashem, this month of Adar should really be like it tells us in the Megillah, that it was changed from the sadness and concern that was in the days of Haman, and it should be changed to, God willing, great smachot, great happy occasions. Zat Hashem, we're continuing on in Mesechet Sanhedrin with Vav Mudbet today, 6b, and we're going to start the top line of the page, Sarmash Bankash Siman. We're going to have, Bezat Hashem, today, really one section, which is really a Tosefta. We'll go through three more opinions in addition to what we had yesterday regarding the allowance, or lack thereof, of making a pshara, compromise. Very interesting discussion in a series of related halachot. Before we begin, let's just mention, Bezat Hashem, our learning should be as a zechut, a merit, for Fuash Leima, a full, speedy recovery for Yaakov ben Dina. And we begin the top line of the page, Sarmash Bankash Siman. Before we begin, it's important to mention, we left off yesterday with the first opinion, actually, in the Tosefta. It's the Tosefta, the beginning of, um, of, of this Masechta, of Sanhedrin. First opinion, we're going to call the Tanakama, was of the opinion that when it comes to compromise, Seemingly, you're allowed to offer as a judge, you can offer a compromise, but once the adjudication has been meted out, this is how Rashi explained it, we'll see really the Gemara is going to mention this later, once it's been meted out already, means he said, your chayav and your patur, or your chayav and your zakai, I should say, you're uh, innocent and you're guilty, then he's not allowed then to try to turn it into a compromise. So Safot explains Rashi, what he means to say is you can't trick them by saying, I don't know if this is really the reality, and uh, I don't want a paskin. I'd rather a compromise. So at that point, you're not allowed to. But before that, the Tanakhama said you could create a compromise. So we're going to now begin a Tosefta, really continue a Tosefta, with three more opinions and then a bunch of information along the way regarding the allowance or lack thereof. There is an opinion, actually. The first one we're going to do today, which is Rebelezer, who seems to hold that judges are not actually allowed to make a compromise. We'll see. From the time that someone came in front of him to be judged, he's no longer allowed to offer compromise as an option. So, Bezat Hashem, let's get started. Sarmash Bankash Siman. The sign to remember the next Gemara is Sarmash Bankash. And the Tosefta continues as follows. The son of Rabbi Yosef Aglili says, we're going to go through again three more opinions in the Tosefta regarding the allowance or lack thereof making a compromise. And God willing, we get to the end of the Gemara that will explain the Tosefta. We'll see exactly the four opinions clearly what they're arguing on. So this is the second opinion. Rabbi Lazar, the son of Rabbi Yosef Aglili says, Asur judges are not allowed to make a compromise. That means from the moment the litigants walk in seeking judgment, the judges are no longer allowed to make a compromise. The Chalabot say, and if they do make a compromise, the judges, they offer a compromise, that's considered a sinner. And anybody that blesses the judges who make a compromise, that is considered blaspheming Hashem. 
about such a thing the Pasuk tells us in Tehilim, one who makes, the way we're translating it, a compromise, and someone blesses him, that's considered a blaspheme to Hashem. Now, I just want to speak out exactly why that would be. Why would it be prohibited? The reason it would be prohibited to make a compromise is, since they already came seeking justice or judgment, Torah, you as the judge no longer have the opportunity, according to Rebbe the son of Rabbi Yosei Aglili, to make a compromise. Because if you would, it would be so as to say, I could judge you based on Din Torah, or I can make a compromise based on my own intelligence. It's a disgrace to HaKadosh Baruch Hu at that point. But as we're going to see, if a layman wanted to make a compromise at that point, not the judge, for example, or the litigants decided on their own, they could. That's not going to be an issue. But it would be asur, according to this shita, for the judges to intervene at that point and make a compromise. Fine. Or, and I should add, if the judges make a compromise before they've even come to court, for example, meaning if they haven't come to judgment yet, they're not necessarily going to seek judgment, and somebody wants to create a compromise, certainly that wouldn't be an issue. Ella rather says the Gemara, but why would it be? Sorry, before we continue, why would a judge want to create a compromise? Or what would be the reasoning for that? The reason Lachara would be, which we'll see scenarios like this later in the Brayta, is he knows that these litigants are going to give him a hard time. The guy who's going to say, you're Chayav, he's going to give him a hard time. So he wants to make a compromise. He's concerned if I start making a hard time, you know, uh, this guy's going to give me a difficult time. He's going to harass me. So rather, says the Gemara, says Rebbe Lazar, again in the Tosefta, He should let the ruling that he's concluded or that he's going to conclude pierce the mountain. means the mountain is the reference to the litigant. Regardless of how difficult the litigant might be, if he says chayav, he should say, it, let, the, let the ruling pierce the mountain. Don't be concerned about that. Shene'emar, like the Pasuk says, ki ha-mishpat hu, justice is for Hashem. Means HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, this is the ruling, you're going to meet it out and you're going to be fine. Don't allow the concern of harassment to cause you to create a compromise which disgraces HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And similarly, Moshe Rabbeinu would do this. He would say, let the judgment, whatever the real outcome is, let it pierce the mountain, regardless of the harassment or the difficulty of the litigants. Aval, but continues the Tosefta, and there's a, a rule we learn from this. Aharon, we know Aharon, Moshe's brother, Ohev Shalom Verodev Shalom. He would chase after, he loved peace, and he chased after peace. And he would create uh, peace between man and his friend. And what that means to say is, he, simple pshat, would, before the, these people would anticipate judgment, if he would see two people that perhaps were going to go to be judged, he would run after them beforehand, before they went to judgment, so there's no issue there, and he would say, you know, why don't we litigate this and, and work this out with pshara? Let's work this out with shalom, with peace, without going to judgment. And that's actually acceptable. Or as Tosafot points out, this, he's also not a judge, so it wouldn't be an issue necessarily. So that was Aharon's approach. He would even preempt the judgment, so there's no issue, and he would make a compromise. Shene'emar, like the Pasuk tells us, It says in the Pasuk in Malachi, where it's talking about Aharon HaKohen, because it says, Ki kohen referring to a Kohen. It says, The truthful Torah was in his mouth, And iniquity that non-truths were not found on his lips, with peace and straightness, he went with me, and many 
he was able to remove or prevent from sin. Meaning Aaron HaKohen preempted the judgment and he caused people to be able to make compromises, which is perfectly acceptable because of his love for judgment, for, for peace. He would preempt the judgment and he would make compromise between them. Now that we quoted these verses, the Gemara, the Tosefta on a tangent, just tells us a couple of other explanations as to what Potzea Berech Neetz Hashem is. According to the first opinion of Allah, Ben it means if a judge makes a compromise after the din has been has begun, that's considered a curse to Hashem. It's blaspheming Hashem. It's as if to say, Hashem, we think our compromise is better than your Torah. However, we have other opinions as to the Pshat in that Pasuk. In a scenario where a person stole a sa'a, a certain amount of wheat, and he grinded it up, and then he baked it. We know there's a mitzvah of Rashat Chala, that you're supposed to take off a certain portion and give to the Kohen from the dough or the bread that you bake. So then this, or the other, this is what the Pasuk is referring to. How could you make a bracha on that? That's not blessing Hashem. That's blaspheming. That's like cursing Hashem. About that, the Pasuk says, Botzea here doesn't mean the way we're understanding it before, compromise, but Botzea is a thief. Somebody who takes something that's not his, Berech, and he blesses Ne'etz Hashem. That's a blaspheme against HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Tosafot just points this out, if you point it out. If you look in the Gemara, in the words of Eliezer, he says you baked it. Usually challah is taken off before you bake it from the dough. He says, but there are certain types of foods that you take it off after baking it. That's why he says that example. But the bottom line is, he says the Pshat and the Pasuk a little bit different, that it's a thief who blesses Hashem after doing afrashat chala, that's blaspheming because that's something prohibited, actually. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir says a third explanation in this verse of Botzea Berech Neitz Hashem. What is it? Rabbi Meir, Omer, Lo, Ne'emar Botzea, Elkeneged Yehuda. Very interesting. It's a reference to a particular person in our history, which was Yehuda. We know that the brothers were planning to do negative things to uh, Yosef, to kill him. Shene'emar in the Pasuk tells us, Vayomer Yehuda lachav. Yehuda said to his brothers, they threw him in a pit, but then he said, Ma betza? What gain will he have if he dies? Ki naharog et achinu. Betza is the key word here. If we allow our brethren, Yosef, to die. Meaning, what was Yehuda trying to do? He said, let's sell him instead, and that's what they ended up doing. But the point is, that the way we read the Pasuk now is, anybody that blesses Yehuda and says, you know, Yehuda did a great thing, that's like a blaspheme. And that's not right. About that it says, Someone that is botzea, he's referring to Yehuda, if you bless him, that's a blaspheme. Really, as Rashi explains, Yehuda should have said, let's return him to Yaakov Avinu. We know actually after this incident, Yehuda was lowered from his greatness. We know it says, He was lowered after this because of that. He should have said, let's return him to our father Yaakov, as the brothers tell him, Rashi brings down, because you didn't say that, we didn't listen, we would have listened to you if you would have said that, and therefore you're actually lowered. But that's the point. The way you read the Pasuk is, the one who said Betza, referring to Yudai, he said, why should we kill him? Let's just sell him. If you bless him, that's considered blaspheming Hashem, because he doesn't deserve credit for that. He did actually the wrong thing in that context. But back to the story at hand now. So we already had so far two opinions regarding the idea of making a compromise. We had the Tanakama, which we had yesterday, who said that you're allowed to make a compromise as a judge, but only until Gemar Din, Igmar Din, until, as Rashi explained, 
the judgment has been meted out, meaning the judge has already said you're innocent and you're guilty. Beyond that, you're not allowed to. Today we started off, Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi holds, it's a sort to create compromise when, from when the judgment already starts, before and you could, but, but when it starts, you're not allowed to, because it's as if to say, your compromise is better than the Torah of Hashem. Now we have a third opinion, Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha, Omer, Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha is the third opinion, he says as follows, Mitzvah Liftzoah, there is a mitzvah, it's actually a positive thing. It's a very good thing. It's a virtuous thing to create compromises. Now, again, the, the Mepharshim speak out, this is only until the verdict. But if the verdict's already been reached, then you would not be allowed to create compromise. But the point is, it's a mitzvah to create compromise. Shana'amar, where do we find that? Because the Pasuk in Zechariah says as follows. Emet umishpat, when it comes to justice, uh, emet, sorry, emet is uh, truth. Umishpat and justice, shalom shiftu, umishpat shalom, and uh, just, justice or judgment of peace, shiftu bish'arechem, you shall judge in your gates. Vahalo, but the Gemara says, what, what, this is really the point, Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha says, this pasuk seems to be inherently contradictory. Because emet and mishpat, uh, sorry, sh- sh- mishpat and shalom are lachara two contradictory themes. Mishpat mishpat means adjudicating by the letter of the law. Ain shalom, but then there's not peace. Means if you adjudicate exactly as it's meant to be, lachara then shalom is not accomplished because someone's going to be guilty. Peace, ultimate peace, lachara is not accomplished. shalom, where there's peace, means you try to create a compromise of sorts. Ain mishpat, that's not by the letter of the law. Elis, Rabbi Shua Bekarcha says, what is the Pasuk in Zechariah teaching us? What is the type of adjudication? Mishpat that includes peace. That refers to a compromise. Meaning, if you're able to adjudicate a case without, by, not by the letter of the law, but by compromising, so you've done a mishpat that also incorporates shalom, and everybody's happy. Like it says by David HaMelech, in Sefer Shmuel Bet, it says, it says a similar idea. David used to do mishpat and staka. Again, contradiction. Mishpat means the letter of the law, exactly as it should be. Staka is charity. That seems to be something that's more virtuous or beyond. Again, where you have mishpat, you don't have staka, and where you have staka, lechura, you don't have mishpat. Ella, so the Gemara says, similar, Bishu ben Karcha brings a proof to himself, what is the scenario of judgment that is considered charity or righteousness? This refers to creating a compromise, meaning if the people arbitrating, arbitrating or judging a case, they make a compromise, so it's a judgment, but it's a judgment that is shalom, it's a judgment that is tzedaka. And this is the source, as the Gemara says, Rabbi Yeshua ben Korcha holds in the Tosef, the third opinion, it's actually a mitzvah to create compromise. Now the Brayta references back to the Tanakhama. Now Tanakhama here doesn't mean the first opinion here, as we had yesterday, but rather it's Beliezer, Rebelezer ben Oshav Yosei Now he was the one who said it's prohibited to make compromise. So based on that, the Gemara now reverts back to him and says, the Tosefta, how would he explain this verse by David HaMelech. From this verse, it seems to be we're saying, it's a mitzvah to create a compromise. Atan Tanakama, now looking back at the Tanakama, the Tosefta reverts and says, how would he explain that verse? So he explains differently. He'll say like this, Danet Adin, it means like this, if somebody judges, the judges judge a case. And he makes innocent the party who's innocent, and guilty the guilty party. But he saw 
that a poor person was made responsible to pay money. He doesn't have money. So what did the judge do? He went and paid back the poor person, meaning the poor person had to pay, and the judge made him liable. But in order that the ani wouldn't be out and out and out and uh, high, uh, left high, uh, high and dry without money, he went and paid back the poor person, so that he wouldn't forfeit so much money. It's prohibited to do compromise. The mishparut staka here is paying back the poor man when you had to make him chayab because that was the right ruling. That's mishparut staka that David Amalek used to do. Why? Mishpat It's mishpat for one and it's staka for the other. So for the one who needed to be paid back, meaning the person the Ani owed the money to, that's Mishpat. He gets paid back the money that he is responsible to get paid back. But it's charity for the pauper. Because the judge took care of him, paying him money that he had to pay by right, but paying him money so that he's not left hanging. Like by David it says, that's how now he's interpreting this verse. David did mishpat and staka for his entire nation. It's considered justice for this one, who needed to get paid back because it was rightful that he deserved money. But it's also charity for the other one, the poor man, that David paid him back, as Rebelazar Beno Shalbiosaglili is now explaining the verse. Now the Brayta continues and says, Rebbe did not like this interpretation of the verse, of David. Because hi, the Pasuk says, he did justice, or, or he did righteousness, charity, for his entire nation. But it wasn't for his entire nation. He did it for the poor people, as we're explaining the verse now. It should have said, for the poor people. So why does the verse say, if indeed it means only for the poor people? So therefore, Rebbe didn't like this pshat of Rebbe Benosh Abiyosei He said a different pshat. So Ella, Rebbe Omer, or Ella, Rebbe said an alternative pshat, or an alternative way that Rebbe Lazar Benosh Abiyosei could learn the verse. Even though he would not pay the poor man back from his house. Still, Paskening correctly is considered mishpat and staka. Why? Mishpat lazeh, it's staka lazeh. It's justice for one and charity to the other. How is this? Mishpat lazeh, it's considered justice for this one. Sheikh mamono. The one who receives back the money that he needs to. means that he was owed money and David would paskin. He, he needs to get paid back. He got paid back. But if it's takalaze, it's also charity for the other one. Even though he's a poor man, it's still charity for him. Why? Because he removed theft, thievery from under his hand. Means he's doing him charity. Why is he doing him charity or righteousness? Because beforehand you had something stolen in your house. Now David HaMelech made sure that whatever was stolen is removed from your house. So the iniquity, the wrongdoing is removed from you. And now he's done you a charity the person who had to pay back, that's considered mishparut staka. Okay, but that was really a side point. Back to the story at hand. So far, we've had three opinions. Let's go through them so we keep track here. We had the Tanakama's opinion who said, you're allowed to make compromise until gemardin, until the judges have said you're innocent and you're guilty. We had Belazar, the son of Rabbi Yosei said it's a sword to make compromise from the moment that the case, the case starts, we explained, because that would be like disgracing HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Torah. And we had the third opinion of Yeshua ben Karcha. He said it's a mitzvah. 
<coughs> it's a mitzvah to make a compromise. Now we have the fourth opinion in the Tosefta. Rabbi Shimon ben Menasi Omer, Shnaim lefanecha ledin, if two people approached judges to be judged, ad before you heard their sides of the story, their arguments, or if you've already heard their sides of the story, but you don't know which direction the psak is going to be. It means you don't have yet a picture of the outcome. So then says, You're allowed to say to them, Go and make a compromise. But And when you already hear their arguments, And you know which direction this may go, this conclusion would go. You're not allowed to tell them anymore. Go and make a compromise. Where does he get this from? It's a pasuk in Mishle. As it says in the pasuk, poter mayim, the poter, poter means to release or undo water, which in the context here refers to a dispute. Reshit madon. That is in the beginning of madon. Madon is din. In the beginning of the judgment. But velifneit galeya hariv natosh. Before things are revealed, the arguments can be abandoned. What does it mean? Before the arguments or the disputes are revealed, you are allowed to abandon it and tell them, go make a compromise. But once the arguments have been revealed, you're not allowed to make a compromise. So the point is, according to this opinion, the fourth opinion, Rishim of Menasya, once the litigants walk in and present their cases, and as he explained, you have some direction of where it's going to go, but it's not a Gemar Din yet, already you're not allowed to make a compromise. Before that, you are allowed to make a compromise, even in the beginning of the case of the judgment. Now the Tosefta continues with a couple of related points. First we have the Girsah has changed it from Reish Lakish to Rabbi Yoshua ben Lakish, because Reish Lakish was an Amora, or of Yehuda ben Lakish. But uh, it can't be that it's an Amora because we're in the middle of a Tosefta, which is Tanaik. So, Rabbi Yeshua ben Lakish, Rabbi Yehuda ben Lakish says, Rabbi Yeshua ben Lakish Amar, Shnaim Shabau Ledin. This is a similar idea to what was just stated. If two people came to be judged, Echad Rach Echad Kasheh. One is an easygoing person and the other one is a difficult person. So the judge knows he's going to litigate this case. He's going to be left with some sort of a difficult guy who might be upset at him and give him a hard time. Before he heard their words, or if he already heard their arguments, you don't know which direction it's going to bend. You could tell them, the judge has the right to say, I know this guy is a difficult litigant. I don't want to deal with him. I'm not interested. So before you hear their, their arguments, before you have an, an idea of where it might go, you could say, please go to a different judge. I don't want to get involved. Because maybe the difficult person will become liable and then he'll start chasing after him and bothering him But after the judge. But continues Rabbi Yeshua ben Lakish, if he's already heard the litigants, you know which direction it's going in, you're not allowed to say to them, um, I don't want to deal with you anymore. Like the Pasuk says, Don't be scared of any man. Which means is, once you accept it on as a, as a uh, court case, you accepted it, you're not allowed to be fearful of any person. means even if you're worried the litigant's going to bother you, you have to set it out as it has become clear, and that's the reality you have to deal with. 
Now the Tosefta finishes off with a series of points regarding this idea of lotaguru mipnei ish. We just said you shouldn't be scared of the litigant. But now we're going to also move on to say scared of other parties involved. Rabbi Yishua ben Karcha Omer, minayin letalmid sheyoshev lefnei rabo. Very interesting. You have a student who's sitting in front of his Rebbe. And there's some sort of a court case the Rebbe is adjudicating. And he sees merit for the poor man, or he sees detriment, some sort of an argument against the rich man. How do we know that that student should not be silent? Meaning, in respect for his Rebbe, who he sees who might paskin wrong, meaning his Rebbe is adjudicating this case, he should speak up, even though it's in the presence of his Rebbe, he should speak up and say, this is the merit that this fellow seems to have. This is the demerit the other fellow seems to have. That's because the Pasuk says, you shouldn't be scared of any man. And Rabbi Chan and Omer, he explained, You shouldn't withhold your words in the face of a man. And the man in the context here means in front of your Rebbe. The student shouldn't be concerned it's disrespectful. If you see merit for one or demerit for the other, you need to speak up. Continues the Tosefta, And the witnesses also, they have to know who are they ju- who are they testifying against. Rashi explains over here, they're not just testifying against human litigants, but actually they're testifying in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu or not just in front, but against HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as Rashi explains, because if they would make testify falsely, and they're going to make somebody guilty or innocent inappropriately, HaKadosh Baruch Hu now, to, now needs to rearrange how the person will get money he's de- deserving, and the one who's not deserving won't get money. So he's, they're bothering, they're testifying against HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they have to know the severity when they're testifying, that they're testifying in front, in, they're testifying about Hashem. And they're also testifying in front of Hashem. And who's going to pay back from them, meaning HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to punish them if they're lying. The Pasuk says, The two men who have a debate should stand in front of Hashem, referring to the witnesses. They have to know they're standing in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And in a similar way, similarly, the judges have to know who they're, test, who they're adjudicating, meaning they're adjudicating HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even though it looks like litigants, they're going to mess things up. They're adjudicating against Hashem. That's what they should realize is the severity. And in front of whom they're judging. And who will pay them back if they judge wrongly, meaning intentionally. Like the Pasuk says, It says Hashem stands amidst the judges. He stands in the congregation of God, meaning amidst the judges. Similarly, it says in Yoshafat, Yoshafat said to the judges, See what you're doing. Because it's not for man judgment. Rather, it's for Hashem. You're judging. It's like you're judging HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So it puts a certain seriousness that they're not going to start messing up intentionally the judgment. But the, the Tosefta concludes, Shema Yomar Adayan. Maybe Adayan will then say, Mali why should I judge? I don't want to be involved in this. If I make a mistake, it's like I'm adjudicating, I'm adjudicating HaKadosh Baruch Hu wrong. I don't want that responsibility. Hashem is with you in the matter of justice. Meaning that HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows what's in your hearts and He knows what you're thinking. If you're trying your best and, 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 and you're judging based on what you see, what you see, you paskin accurately without any wrong intention. You're not going to get punished, as Rashi says, v'shuv lo ye'enash, you're not going to be punished because you're trying to do the right thing in the most appropriate way. That's the end of the Tosefta. And now the Gemara analyzes these four opinions. 
So din. Let's refer back to yesterday. We had the first opinion, the Tanakama. When the din is concluded, so we said at that point, you're not allowed then as a judge to make a compromise. We said, and Rashi pointed this out earlier. So what is the point that's considered the conclusion of din? So the way Rashi explained, the way Tosfot explained Rashi, but it means is that when the judges have already said you are innocent and you are guilty, they've meted out the Psak, then they cannot make a compromise anymore. Tosafot explained, I mean, they can't say, ah, we, we think we're making a mistake, so let's do a compromise instead. They're not allowed to do that anymore. That's the Tanakama's opinion. Amar Rav, Rav explained, the third opinion, which was, there actually is a mitzvah to make compromise. Aini, is that true? When Rav Huna was a student of Rav, when he used to come in front of when uh, litigants would come in front of Rav Huna, Rav Huna used to say, if you want, we could judge this, or we can make a compromise. But the Gemara says, if it's a mitzvah, according to Rav, it's a mitzvah to make a bitzua, it's a mitzvah to make a pshara, a compromise, so why was Rav Huna the student of Rav, and Rav passing like Rav Yishuv and Karcha, so then why was the student of Rav saying that there's an option to do judgment? He should say there's a mitzvah, let's do a mitzvah of uh, pshara. So the Gemara answers, my mitzvah nami dekam Rav Yeshua ben Karcha. What did Rav Yeshua ben Karcha mean when he said it's a mitzvah? Turning to Zion Amud Aleph, it means mitzvah lememra lehu. It's a mitzvah to offer it as an option. That's what it means. It's a mitzvah to say to the litigants, if you want, we could judge this like a normal court case. Or we can make a pshara, we can make a compromise. That's Rabbi Yeshua ben Karchament, and that's what Rav Paskin liked, and his student Rav Huna followed his psak. But says the Gemara, if that's true, Hainu Tanakama. So then it's the same as the Tanakama. What's the difference between the third opinion of Shuvan Karcha and the Tanakama? Tanakama said, once you've meted out judgment, you can no longer make a Pshara. But that implies beforehand, you offer it as an option. So what's the difference then between Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha and the Tanakama? Ayu, the Gemara answers, mitzvah. Really, the distinction is, is it considered a mitzvah to offer pshara as an option? Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha Savar, mitzvah. Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha holds that it's a mitzvah, it's a, it's a virtuous thing to do, to offer as an option to say, if you want, we could litigate in the regular court case, or we could do pshara, we could do a compromise. That's a mitzvah for a judge to do that. Tanakama Savar, but the first opinion held, Rishut, it's not a mitzvah. The judges have the option. It's a voluntary thing. If they want to offer this as an option, they could. Again, until the Gemardin, until they've already meted out the psak, but until then, it's not a mitzvah, but it's a rishut, it's a voluntary thing. That is the distinction between Tanakama and Rishu ben Karcha. But the Gemara says, if that's true, then this would seem to come out that the Tanakama would now be like Rishu ben Menasya. Rishu ben Menasya was the fourth opinion in the Tosefta, and he said that you have the option of offering Pshara, uh, you can offer pshara as an option, compromise as an option. We said until you know which direction the court case is going in. So now, what's the distinction then between Tanakama, the first opinion, and the fourth opinion of Rabbi Shimon ben Menasseh? So the Gemara answers: the difference is Misha Tishma Divrehen. From the when you heard the words of the litigants, and you know which direction it's going in. According to the Tanakama, you're still allowed, it's still a reshut to offer pshara, to offer compromise. 
It's only until later when you meet out the judgment. That's when the Tanakhama says you're no longer allowed to offer compromise. You're no longer allowed to say, go make a compromise, even from the beginning when you've heard their uh, arguments and you see which direction it's going in. Already you're not allowed to offer it as a option. Now let's run through, before we conclude for the day, we're going to stop here towards the top of Zion and Aleph, but let's just run through the four opinions. Because what emerges really is we have four opinions in this Tosefta as to the allowance or lack thereof of making a compromise. So the first opinion is the Tanakama. Tanakama's opinion is that it's voluntary for judges to offer a compromise until the verdict has been announced. Until they said you're innocent and you're guilty, then it's forbidden. They're not allowed to offer that anymore. The second opinion of the Tosefta was Ben Lezer, the son of and he said it's asur, it's prohibited to offer compromise. The third opinion is Rav Shemim ben He said also it's voluntary, they could offer a compromise, but only in a much more limited window until the judges see which direction the case will go. They don't actually have to meet out the judgment, but already it's prohibited beyond that point. Rav Shemim ben Karcha is the, the fourth opinion in the Tosefta, which is actually how Rav Paskind that there's a mitzvah to offer compromise. <clears throat> um, there's a mitzvah to offer a compromise and to say either we could adjudicate or we could, um, again, or we could uh, give up shara. And again, this would also be only l'chura until the verdict has been reached. Once it's been reached, then already you wouldn't be allowed to l'chura anymore. Okay, we're going to stop at the top of Zayin and Aleph. Bezrat Hashem will pick up with Zayin and Aleph tomorrow. In the meantime, Chevra. Uh, again, Chodesh Tov, Shabbat Shalom, and uh, all the best. A wonderful month.